Welcome to the Man on Second Podcast, part of the Coach and Kernan Podcast Network. I'm Joe Frasaro, and we're happy to be back after we took some time off, um, you know, for the holidays. Uh, we kind of uh, refreshed, regrouped, and we hope all of our listeners had a great holidays. But now we're back. Spring training is, you know, approaching fast, about a month away. And um, our mission, as always, here on the Coach and Kernan Network is to raise the baseball IQ of our listeners, and we will do that certainly today with a very special guest, longtime uh, radio baseball announcer Glenn Geffner. Glenn was with the Marlins from 2008 up until last year. Before that, he was with Boston and San Diego doing radio. But, you know, before we introduce um, Glenn, you know, we, we got a lot going on here at the network, a lot with our programming and a lot of big plans for 2023. So I'm going to bring in uh, for some of these announcements, uh, a message from our producer, Dave D'Agostino. Uh, Dave, uh, welcome. Happy New Year, buddy. And catch everybody up on, on what we're doing here. Yeah, Joe, thanks so much. And our our show, and we're excited to have Glenn on today. Uh, what a great background. What a great future. Uh, I'd love to listen to him, and uh, we're certainly going to enjoy him today. want a message to our, we have 9,000 faithful subscribers right now, so we're very appreciative to our audience. Uh, we appreciate the support. For your listening pleasure, we certainly pay attention, and we've kept our podcast network six shows and running now. We've kept it ad-free and sponsor-free, so you're just getting content. Um, we're asking you for the continued support of the show. Continue to download, listen, like, and subscribe. We're on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, and Stitcher, and as Joe mentioned, it's episode 98, 13th for the man on second, uh, but we've also set up an account on Praytheon.com. If you feel like you want to support the show, continue to see us growing uh, with our network and want to visit us on Praytheon, we're, we're open to that type of support from our listeners as opposed to ads and sponsorships. So Praytheon.com. We have also, and Joe, I'll give you credit for this, we've also expanded our social media presence. We used to just be on Twitter, uh, reluctantly by me, and uh, we're now on Facebook and Instagram. So follow us on Coaching Kernan at either of the, or any of those three sites right there to continue to support not just our host, but also our great guests like we have today. Well, uh, thank you. Thank you, Dave. And, um, you know, uh, thanks for those updates. Again, we had a lot going on. Visit those sites. We'll give you a reminder at the very end of the show. But as we as we get into it now, we want to bring in Glenn Geffner. He needs no introduction to to Marlins fans and baseball fans in the state of Florida and in South Florida specifically. Uh, Glenn, a uh, long time, one of the voices of the Marlins since 08, like I had noted before. Before that, he was with uh, Boston and San Diego. Uh, Glenn, welcome, and I uh, hope all is going well, my friend. Hey, Coach. Joe, it's great to be with you guys. Things are going well, but I came in today, Joe, thinking we were going to be looking back on Alabama women's soccer and football, <laughs> talking Bama basketball and previewing Bama softball. So we're talking baseball instead? Yeah, yeah. In terms of full disclosure, uh, those who may not know, I'm a diehard and uh, Alabama fan and alum. And and Glenn, was it your your you have a kid? To go our, our oldest attended Alabama. Yeah. Yeah. So so uh, we're both in. To be honest, a little disappointed with the football season, but that's not what people want to hear. But definitely excited about the sports. Glenn mentioned and basketball really has our attention right now as Crimson Tide fans. And um, yeah, and you got you got some things going on with the university as well, don't you? A lot going on these days uh, as I look for my next opportunity in baseball, potentially, which we now in the start of spring training. But, uh, you know, I've done a lot of teaching in recent years. Going way back, I've been a longtime mentor to young broadcasters, high schoolers, college students, uh, folks just beginning their professional careers. And in the last several years, I've been able to uh, kind of take that up a notch. I've taught sports broadcasting at Florida Atlantic University in Boca Raton. I just started a new semester yesterday with 20 terrific students uh, and also trying to reach more people in that same vein. I recently started an online play-by-play -play coaching program, one-on-one -on -one instruction via Zoom. So people all over the country, literally around the world, if they're interested in signing up or, or to learn more, can go to glengeffner.com and learn about what's a very unique program taught by somebody who has been in the industry for 32 years, but who is also a college professor. And uh, so so I know what I'm talking about, and I think I know how to teach it a little bit. And the response in the first week since I started the website, put the program online, has been remarkable. So it's one-on-one -on -one coaching. It's uh, a really unique opportunity, and I hope people take advantage. GlennGeffner.com. Oh, I appreciate that. And, and it's, you know, 
Um, Glenn, you know, obviously a couple of years ago, we go way back together. Um, you know, I, I took the early retirement from MLB, you know, best job I ever had. And but it afforded me with, you know, just being at that company with the opportunity to retire a little younger. But what I wanted to do was to kind of carve a path. And and that's what we're doing here at the network and some of the other things I'm doing on the side. And I always have a lot of respect for, for those that can kind of carve their own path. So we wish you a ton of luck there. But I really I kind of want to talk to you a little bit about the industry, because as you say, you know, the role of the play by play announcer is completely changed. And, you know, probably for a lot of reasons. But how do you see it has changed? And where, more importantly, where is it headed? And and we have listeners, old, young, uh, that who may want to at least know more about the inside of the industry, but also may want to get into it. And where do you see it going? Well, it's interesting because I think simultaneously, and I said this to my students on the first day of class yesterday, I think there's never been a better time to try to get into the industry. And by that, the big thing I'm saying is there's so many opportunities to broadcast. You don't need to work for a radio station or a TV station or a team. If you have an iPhone or a laptop, you can broadcast and you can transmit your work, whether it's play-by-play or a podcast or a YouTube program, whatever you want to do. You can transmit it to the world without working for a radio station or TV station or a team. But at the same time, there are more people trying to get into the business than ever before. There are more people doing that. So trying to carve out a unique niche is very challenging as well. And uh, you see a lot of people in the industry cutting back. Uh, as you know well, the huge cutbacks in minor league baseball, the number of teams that were contracted a couple of years ago, uh, means there are fewer play-by-play jobs to cut your teeth in baseball specifically. Uh, you look at the major league level, I have concerns that you're going to see some teams going to a simulcast before too long to save money, where you have one TV slash radio broadcast that runs on TV and on the radio. The Blue Jays actually tried that a couple of years ago. It was a disaster. And in midseason, they, to their credit, realized they'd made a big screw up and uh, they, they went back and they brought their radio guy back and things were back to normal. Uh, you have people broadcasting remotely still in some cases coming out of the pandemic, where I think we as broadcasters made the mistake of being actually pretty good at broadcasting remotely to the point where a lot of listeners or viewers had no idea you weren't at the side of the event. And uh, people realized, hey, we can save some money here. And I think radio specifically, as it's changed, and more people listen online, on satellite radio, uh, via various apps, that actually listen on a radio, I think has a lot of organizations, particularly financially strapped organizations like the Marlins, reassessing things. And so as far as a team like the Marlins specifically is concerned, it wouldn't surprise me if a year from now the Marlins are internet only, for example, on radio and not over the air. It wouldn't surprise me if the Marlins went to a simulcast uh, and I think other teams could do the same thing. I think it would be a huge mistake, but I think that's kind of where the industry is headed. I think it's getting younger. So, again, you speak to opportunities. I think a lot of people uh, who have done it for a long time, as the years go on and your salary goes up, all of a sudden somebody looks at a broadcaster and says, hey, we could get uh, somebody a lot younger, not as experienced, doesn't have as much wisdom, doesn't have the relationships, doesn't have the the context and the uh, the knowledge, but we can get somebody younger. And yeah, to, to the untrained ear, he'll be fine. And we can pay him a lot less. We can pay her a lot less. And unfortunately, that's where I fear the industry is going, especially on the radio side. Yeah, I think that's going across the board, uh, you know, as, as you know, on, on the print end, which I was forever. And, and I agree with you. And I think, uh, again, you know, I think what happened in 2020 with, with the, the shortened season, and the lockdown, the lack of travel. I mean, I covered that whole year of, you know, MLB.com offered and almost wanted us to, if you didn't have to go to the ballpark, you know, and I was at an age also, I'm over 60, at, you know, we didn't know what COVID was going to do. So I wasn't comfortable going down to cover the games, but all the games were on TV. So I was writing them, you know, off TV and Zooming the manager. Yeah, at that point, point you, know, you were going to have face-to-face access anyway, even if you were at the ballpark. Correct. So sitting at home, you had the exact same Zoom access as somebody who was sitting in the press box on the same Zoom that you were on. Yeah, but I think also what happened was guys like you and me who had done this forever, we had so much institutional knowledge. Deep down, I knew I wasn't doing the work at the level of when I was at my prime. You know, when I would, you know, just know everything about everybody, the relationships are so strong. But even 80% of me, 
was going to be able to do something that I knew was going to be a quality product under the, the circumstances I was working with. But I think, as you, as you noted, when you get younger and you get less experienced people, they don't have that institutional knowledge. And I think the, the ultimately it's the, the listener, uh, the viewer that, that suffers because that's really who we're working for. You know, and, and then, you know, is to and you, you noted the word uh, relationships. And now, obviously, you know, we're, we're through it. I know that the pandemic is, is over, but the virus isn't completely gone. And there's still, you know, issues, you know, with with health and it can affect things. But for the most part, baseball's back running like everything else. Uh, and I really feel the relationships are the separator. No question. And uh that you also you mentioned institutional knowledge, and I think that's a great term. You can't put a price tag on institutional knowledge, whether it's with a team, uh, with an industry, whatever it may be, with the sport in general, and uh, that it's hugely valuable. But I think it's underappreciated by a lot of decision makers these days. But the relationships are the thing. Knowing that you can walk up to somebody a- after a rough night on the field or whatever it is and ask the question you need to get asked, knowing that he trusts you and respects you and will likely give you something. He might not give the 12 reporters standing around his locker holding microphones and recorders in his face. Uh, There's a lot to be said for that. And whether or not the average viewer or listener realizes you get that from some people, but not from everybody, I'm not certain, but uh, it's hugely valuable. And when you're a writer who has the relationships that you had over the years, that you earned over the years, and you, you nurtured and developed, or a broadcaster who's been in one place for a long time. That's a great service to the people who consume your work, whether they're readers or listeners or viewers. Oh, no question. No question. Because that's what it's all about. They're, they tune in to, to listen to you do the games or to read me or to see what I have to say because we had established ourselves as, as the authorities. You know, didn't mean we knew all or whatever, but we had established and we took a lot of pride in that, you know, that this is a, an, a, you know, someone speaking from authority and it made, like I had one of the players one time back in the, in the 2000, you know, about 2007, 2008, it was, it was probably one of those years, the Marlins were, you know, I think it was like when Hanley and, and that crew had just came on board and somebody was writing something. And one of the young players said something to me and he, he said, you know, this is out there or whatever. And, and um, I said to the, the player, I said, why are you talking to me about it? I, I didn't write it. Somebody else wrote it. He says, you don't understand. They, people pay attention when you write something. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the mm-hmm. voice wasn't the same meaning, mm-hmm. you know. And obviously you and, and especially in radio or television, when you are part of the play by play, you are the most uh, identifiable. You know, people get in their car and or, you know, they're they're out and they're, they're driving. They want to listen to that game. They're here in Glen Geffner, and they know they're listening to Marlins baseball. Yeah, that's they know awesome. that they're going to have everything. And the nature of baseball being every single day, 162 games all season long, you're the soundtrack to somebody's summer, and they take you to the beach, you're in the car with them, you're on road trips, and it's a great responsibility. And it's something I took a lot of pride in doing over my 15 years with the Marlins, and before that, my time in Boston and San Diego – Uh, it's great to make the kind of connections that you do make with fans. And that's why, uh, as disappointing as it was to find out the Marlins weren't going to renew my contract in November, the real silver lining to this has been the response I've gotten from people that has absolutely overwhelmed me. And it's been so gratifying. And uh, it's a bond you build over time. You earn trust. You earn respect. You become, in some ways, as crazy as it sounds, a member of the family when you're around yeah. for three hours, three and a half hours on good days and bad days, night in and night out. You know, I've always said baseball is so much like real life in that it's every single day. Good day, you got to do it again tomorrow. Bad day, you got to do it again tomorrow. There are ups, there are downs. You got to try to maintain an even keel and keep plugging along. And it's been a lot of fun to share that with the fans here in Miami, my hometown over the last 15 years. Oh, no question. Um Glenn, Dave wants to jump jump back in. He has a question for you. Come on in, David. Yeah, Glenn. When I was I coached collegiately for twenty two years, and my some of my favorite people were my play by play guys, and I always felt that they had as much to do with the fan base that was there alive as as I did or their team did because they were painting a picture for the audience listening at home. My question is, and, and I used to spend a lot of time with the play by play guys because I wanted them to understand why we were doing stuff. What's your prep? What was your preparation like, or what's it like 
and in, in getting into going into a game, which you're pre. Yeah, preparation is job one for me, and I would put my preparation right up there with anybody in the sport or in the industry. And it's funny, as I talk about the class I'm teaching at FAU, yesterday was our first day of class. We had the introductory lecture. Uh, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. These are the expectations. Tomorrow is the first real class session, and on day one, we're talking about preparation. That's the theme of my lecture tomorrow, because before you broadcast, you have to prepare. And preparation is nonstop. I, I think I, I saw a quote from Keith Jackson one time that said, uh, asked about his preparation. My preparation began when I was about seven years old, and I started reading and learning everything I possibly could about the sport. And that's exactly the same way I was growing up, reading and learning everything I could. But then you get to professional baseball first at the AAA level for me, then to the big league level. And it's never ending. It's the conversations that you have in the clubhouse around the batting cage. Uh, it's the things you read. It's the people you talk to, players, coaches, managers, scouts, executives. It's this reservoir of information you collect over the decades. And I've talked about this a lot. I broke into the big leagues with the San Diego Padres. I was in San Diego for six years, including the last five years of Tony Gwynn's career. And I learned more baseball from Tony Gwynn than anybody I've been around in 32 years in the industry. And to this day, I'll be on the air, and something that Tony Gwynn said to me in 1999 will pop into my head as apropos at this very moment in the ballgame. And so that's where the, the preparation is ongoing. It never ends. But, you know, people think the game starts at 7.10. You show up at the ballpark at 6.30. You know, I'll get up at 7, 8 in the morning and immediately go to work and start crunching numbers and start doing reading and make some phone calls and talk to people. And I'm on my phone on the way into the ballpark, talking to people, gathering more information. You get to the ballpark, you talk to folks on both sides, the home team, the visiting team, you're constantly collecting information. And my big thing when I talk about preparation is I wanted to bring things to the broadcast every single night that nobody else had, whether it was anecdotal or statistical, whatever it might be. So every team puts out game notes every day. Every team puts out a media guide at the start of the season. But I literally never used media guides or game notes because I wanted to have stuff my partner didn't have. I wanted to have stuff the visiting broadcasters didn't have. I wanted to have stuff our guys in the TV booth didn't have. I wanted stuff that I found particularly interesting that I thought the listener would also find particularly interesting and unique. And you hope over time people realize I can only get that information by listening to Glenn on the radio. And I take a lot of pride in the fact that over the course of my career, whether it's game one opening day and you're tied for first, or you're in the middle of a World Series championship season, as I was lucky to be a part of in Boston, or you're losing 90 plus games a year as we have in recent years in Miami, on day 162 with nothing on the line, I worked every bit as hard to prepare for that game as I did on opening day or for a World Series game. And I really, really take a lot of pride in that. No, I, 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 like I said, I love my, my play-by-play guys. They worked as hard or harder than anybody. With all that input now, we, we have kids, we have grassroots players from 46 countries that listen to this show. And um, we love to educate them in the process. And I'm glad you're, you're, you're teaching right now. With all that input, how did, what are your tricks to cataloging it or categorizing it? Everybody has their own systems. And so what works for me might not work for somebody else. And it's funny, I mentioned 32 years in the industry Every year I tweak systems. I do things a little bit differently from year to year as technology evolves, as the information I realize I want to have at my fingertips evolve. But I do a lot on my computer on five by eight note cards. And so at, at the start of a game, I'll have a pack of 10 or 12 five by eight note cards filled up with printed information I've researched or collected about the opposing team. I've got similar information. For my team, I do batting notes on a daily basis for every player on both teams. I do notes on relievers for both teams on a daily basis. I do extensive notes on the two starting pitchers every single day. I'll come into every broadcast with some news and notes from around Major League Baseball in case you have time to fill. You never know how the game is going to go, and it might be a real clunker. And by the fourth inning, it's 13-1, to 1, and you got to get on to some other topics. Well, what's some of the news today across the Major Leagues? What are some of the topics that are of interest around the country that maybe you can get into. So uh, it's a process every single day, and it, it's a lot of work. People find this hard to believe, but I always said the easiest part of my day began at 7.10 every night. 
once you've done all the preparation, calling the game is the easy part, but you got to bring something to the table every night. You want to bring something unique to the table every night. And, and that preparation for me is what it's all about. And that's what I try to pass on to my students. And that's what I would say to anybody trying to start out in the industry. It's not just about showing up and having a clever home run call. You've got to be able to carry three, three and a half hours, night in and night out. You have to have something to say. It's one thing to talk a lot. It's another thing to have something to say. And you've got to prepare in a manner in which you're able to do that. No, that, that's really excellent points, uh, Glenn. And, you know, it, it gets down to, you know, same thing from the writing end. You know, that's you, you're prepared for the fact that from my end, you know, all the time you spend around the team and getting to know everything that's is pertinent, that the game itself just magnified it one way or the other. Oh, I saw the work that this pitcher was doing, it, you know, and oh, how he rebounded from a bad start four times ago by making this adjustment. And here he is three weeks later doing a one-hit shutout. And you can kind of encapsulate all that because you saw it, what the pitcher went through, saw the struggle, then saw the success. But the question I have for you, um, Glenn, you know, as as the industry evolves, and like you say, social media, people are watching on, on different platforms. Uh, but I, I find this from a writing, and I want your point of view too, because I'm a believer – I'm all about evolving. I'm not going to be the dinosaur saying go back to only print newspapers and radio and no TV for baseball. But I do believe you have to kind of maintain certain fundamentals. What are some of the fundamentals that in your industry and the broadcast side that you think should never be lost? Well, to me, I look at broadcasting a game and I think every broadcaster has three primary responsibilities every night. Number one is to report. Number two is to inform, and number three is to entertain. And those three priorities work in that order. Your first job is to be a journalist, to explain what's happening on the field, in the game, and particularly on the radio where you don't have graphics. Uh, what's the score? What inning? Where are the base runners? What? How's the defense set up? How's the wind change? Whatever it is, you're reporting on everything that you see going on in the field. That has to be priority number one before you do anything else. Then you inform. That goes back to the preparation. You're bringing information to the broadcast to sprinkle in and to keep listeners engaged. And once you've reported, once you've informed, then you've got to entertain. You've got to bring your personality to the broadcast. Do you have a sense of humor? Do you have a clever home run call? Whatever it is, you've got to bring some personality to the broadcast so you make a connection with the listener or on television with the viewer. So those are the three priorities for me every night. Uh, but it all starts with remembering the game is the thing. People turn the game on because they care about the game, particularly with a team like the Marlins, which quite frankly has struggled to build and solidify a fan base over three decades now. Uh, when people turn the game on, it's because they care and they want to know what's going on in the game. If I'm joining the game in the fifth inning, how did we get to this point in the game? What's going on? What's coming up? And uh, those are the three basic fundamentals. Every broadcast to me starts with those three things, reporting, informing, and entertaining. Yeah, well well said. You know, I look at it from, from the writing end. I would always try for a game story, for instance, try to say what happened and what it means. Get that up high Well, there's the lead. Those were two fundamentals I would always have in the game. You know, Giancarlo Stan hit two home runs tonight to increase his league-leading total to 59 on the season. In second graph, Stanton's trying to become one of only a handful of players ever to reach 60 with mm -hmm. a couple of games to go. You know, it's, you know, that type of approach. It doesn't have to be worded that bluntly, but, you know, those elements had to be there for me, you know, as a, as a journalist. And, hey, I got to, since, uh, you know, this, uh, the Coach and Kernan Network is, Kevin Kernan is one of the, one of the co-founders and you obviously go way back. I know Kevin forever, but you go back to San Diego with Kevin. Uh, enlighten some people about Kevin back in the San Diego days. Yeah, before he returned to New York, Kevin Kernan was a big deal in San Diego. Uh, I got to the Padres in November of 1996, and Kevin might have only been in San Diego for another year or two at that point, but he had covered the Padres for the San Diego Union Tribune, and he was also the host at that time of Padres Talk on KFMB which at the time was the Padres' flagship radio station. He and uh, Hank Bauer, a former San Diego Charger, hosted the Padres' post-game show every night and had a lot of laughs along the way. But uh, Kevin always brought great insight. He was a lot of fun to listen to, a lot of fun to be around. Uh, and then he, he went back to New York 
So we were only together in San Diego for a couple of years, but but he's a great guy. He's great at what he does. America's most beloved sports writer, and uh, and you know happy to see even though he's I guess technically retired these days, Kevin is still going strong and podcasting, and and I see a lot of his ball nine stuff and uh, a, a really great perspective on the game as the game has evolved. And again, Joe, back to what you were saying before, talk about in, institutional knowledge and what that means. The game has changed a lot, and it's obvious in reading some of the stuff that Kevin writes. It's obvious if you listen to me talk sometimes. We're not always thrilled with some of the changes that we're seeing before our eyes and some of maybe the over-reliance on analytics and things like that. But at the same time, you have to acknowledge those changes. you got to learn to deal with them and live with them, and I always strove to do that. And uh, I, I think Kevin, in his work, you see, is doing the exact same thing. Yeah, how do you kind of see that? I mean, obviously analytics, and we we've seen and uh, you know ESPN, for instance, with their analytics podcast, uh, you know, basically the, their telecast, excuse me, of, of a game. You may take a playoff game, and you might have Mike Petriello with uh, Eduardo Perez doing doing the game on uh, on ESPN two or whatever. Um, how do you see that intermingling with? traditional broadcasting i like when you give people the option i like when you have a traditional broadcast and then you have that secondary broadcast if somebody wants that they can go get it i've always said and i hugely respect analytics and i study and read about analytics and i have a lot of numbers filed away that i'll never use on the radio because to me baseball shouldn't be math class it shouldn't be numbers getting forced down people's throats. There's a time and a place, but particularly on radio, where if you're using some sort of metric that you need to explain every time you use it, you just can't do that on a regular basis on radio, where you've got to be so consumed with detailing everything that's happening on the field at every moment. So to me, there are certain numbers that have become a bit more mainstream that people understand that you can use to help tell a story. But ultimately... Analytics are a tremendous tool for organizations to use in talent evaluation. Is this a player maybe being undervalued that we see certain things, whether it's spin rate or whatever it may be? Uh, is this a, a player maybe who's being overvalued, who we don't think can sustain the production he's put up? Do you bring this guy in? Do you not bring him in? Do you cut ties with somebody because of some of those numbers? To me, ball clubs using that data in terms of player evaluation that's gold, and that's exactly the, the way this stuff should be used. And I do think there is a market for it among a certain segment of fans. I don't think they're in the majority. Uh, so I think there's a real fine line as a broadcaster in, in trying to sprinkle in a little when it helps you to tell the story, but also not ramming it down people's throat, because I honestly believe the majority of people who listen to me calling a game on the radio don't want to have all those numbers forced down their throat. Yeah, what do you... Uh, what do you think about like uh, what ESPN has done with the NFL with the Manning cams where those guys are obviously when you have the Manning brothers, aside from being, you know, Hall of Fame players, um, they're fun personalities and they bring a very unique style to that alternate program. How do you see that kind of going? Like I said, when you talk about Mike Petriello, I think it's great to give people that option. If you want to watch the game with the Mannings on Monday night, you can. If you'd rather flip over the traditional broadcast, that's there waiting for you as well. And, and when we talked earlier about the industry evolving a little bit, and this, I think, pertains to the Marlins, uh, you know, I, with the Marlins for the last five years under the new ownership, have worked under a vice president uh, who in our first meeting told me I know nothing about broadcasting. Those were his words to me in a one-on-one -on -one meeting. He said those exact same words to Dave Van Horn in a one-on-one -on -one meeting to someone else in a one-on-one -on -one meeting. Uh, and when you get too many people involved – you know, this would be cool. This would be different. This would be fun. We ought to try this. That can be dangerous when it's the only thing that you're doing. Look, if it's secondary, I get it. That's great. But one of this vice president's thoughts in recent years has been to turn the broadcast into more of a talk show than traditional play-by-play. -play. And quite honestly, that does not work on the radio. What the Mannings are doing is talking about whatever they want to talk about with whatever guests they have on TV while you're able to see the game. And you're also able to flip over if you want the more traditional broadcast. You can't turn a radio broadcast into a talk show with the game going on in the background and every now and then jump in, uh, oh, and Scherzer strikes out the side to send this game to the sixth inning. People who turn a game on on the radio want to hear the game, 
And uh, so I think there is a place. And I think the Manning stuff is great. And uh, as somebody who follows the NFL kind of in a more passing manner, I, I watch the Mannings a decent amount when I throw on a Monday Night Football game. I will flip over the traditional broadcast at times as well. But if they've got a good guest on, I enjoy that stuff because I'm not living and dying with the game. But for people who live and die with the game, which I think on radio is the extreme majority of your listenership, I still think you need to be more traditional. Yeah, I agree. You know, when you put it in those terms, if you're, you know, for instance, if I'm, uh, you know, the beauty of not being a day-to-day beat writer, when I go down to the games, I can leave in the fifth inning because I don't need to write the game story. I did that for 18 years and left at one in the morning. So I'm driving home and I'm listening to you because I want to know what's going on in the game in those final few innings. If otherwise, why am I putting the game on? Like I'm, you know, it's not just oh, here I I'm flipping a channel. Let me come across a baseball game. You have exactly. a specific interest in not just a baseball game, that Marlins game. And look, and, and, and that's why a, you're listening. And there's a time and a place to have the CEO on for an inning, or the head of the foundation on for the inning, or uh, the VP of marketing on for an inning. And you weave the game in as best you can while you have a guest on the air on the radio, but that's really tough to do. Uh, and we did that stuff, and there is a time and a place for it, but it can't be the primary information that's being put out on a radio broadcast night in and night out. And my concern with where the Marlins specifically are headed in recent years is with the team having struggled as much as it has, 93 losses this past year. We, you know, we all know the, the numbers. Uh, I, I mentioned this on a podcast I was on last night. Since 2008, I've called more losses than any broadcaster in Major League Baseball. Unfortunately, uh, there are those in uh, decision-making positions who'd rather you not talk about another one-run loss or the Marlins getting picked off again and leading the major leagues and times being picked off, things like that. They'd rather talk about something else. Uh, the bottom line is, you got to call the game. You got to explain what you're seeing in front of you. That's why people turn on the radio. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Um, you know, Glenn, I want to talk to you about some of the legends you worked with, because obviously I'd be remiss if I don't bring up Dave Van Horn, Hall of Famer, who you worked a long time with in Miami. Before that, you worked with Jerry Coleman in San Diego um, and in Boston, Joe Castiglione, if I'm pronouncing his name right. Uh, you know, these legends, what advice, what did you learn from? And are we going to you know, we're in such a fast-paced society now. Are we going to see the Dave Van Horns? Are we going to have 50 years in broadcasting? No, you're not. And I've been saying this for a while. And not only are you not going to see the Dave Van Horns and the Harry Carries and the Jack Bucks and the Ernie Harwells, and you can go on and on the Vince Scullys and on down the line, not only are you not going to see that, quite honestly, I feel as though my generation is – and I began to talk about this during COVID, is going to start getting pushed out the door, and again, for financial reasons. And I think for the most part, the the Vin Scullys and the Harry Carries and the Jack Bucks and the Dave Van Horns have been able to work to a certain extent as long as they want to work. Uh, Harry Carey passed away. Uh, Dave was not treated maybe as respectfully on his way out as he should have been by the Marlins. But... Uh, I do think, again, when you come back to the finances of things, it's a lot easier to bring in a 29-year-old with some minor league experience than to keep paying uh, somebody in his mid-50s or early 60s who's been doing it for a long time. So I don't think you're going to see those 50-year lifers as you move forward, and I think that's a huge loss. Again, I come back to the institutional knowledge you brought up, the relationships, the perspective that you can bring when you've been around the game for a really long time. But as far as the, the three primary broadcasters I worked with over the years, Jerry Coleman, who's in the Hall of Fame, a Ford C. Frick Award winner. Dave Van Horn in the Hall of Fame, a Ford C. Frick Award winner. And Joe Castiglione has been a Frick Award finalist and is going to win that award one of those days. So I take full credit for two broadcasts in the Hall of Fame with a third on deck. <laughs> but, uh, You're the common denominator. I don't exactly. That's the common denominator among those three. So I think there's no question that uh, I deserve some credit there. But, but each was so different. And I think that's the beauty of this business Jerry Coleman and Dave Van Horn as broadcasters had virtually nothing in common, but they were both really freaking good at what they did. And uh, you know, Dave was a great mentor, a great friend, a great partner. Uh, his pipes are to this day as good as anybody's who's ever called the game. Dave put in the work every single day, even, let's see, his final year 
would have been 2021. He, I think, was 82 years old his last year, and he still showed up prepared to work every single day. He loved the relationships. He loved the travel, going on the road, and, and seeing the usher in Atlanta, who he had known since the late 60s, early 70s, and the person who works in the dining room in Philadelphia, who he'd known forever, and, and the scout that you see once or twice a year, or the TV tech who used to work with him in Montreal back in the 70s, who would come by the booth every single time we were in Philadelphia to check in. Uh, you know, Dave was such a relationship guy, so liked, so respected, beloved by everybody. And like I said, to the last game he broadcast at age 82, incredibly prepared every day. Joe Castiglione, a guy in Boston who is such a master of the craft of play-by-play. He, he's so good at what he does. And a lot of it, if you're not a student of broadcasting, if you're just listening rather than really absorbing, not everybody might realize some of the, the techniques that, that Joe uses and the inflection, the way he uses his voice and the words he chooses to use in certain situations that really say so much. It, Joe, to me, was so much fun to work with and especially to travel with because he knew the best Italian restaurant. He usually knew the chef and the owner and the best Italian restaurant in every city in America. And, and he, he was fun to travel with and see historical sites and things like that. We had a lot of common interests like that. And Jerry, you know, I work with very late in his career, but think about Jerry Coleman and the fact that this guy had three careers that anyone in the world would give their right arm to have had just one of his careers. Jerry Coleman played second base, part of the New York Yankees dynasty. He's got World Series rings all over the place. He was there with Whitey Ford and Mickey Mantle and Billy Martin. He played for Casey Stengel. He had stories about all those guys that were a lot of fun to listen to. He then was a military hero the only major leaguer to see active combat duty in two wars. And uh, while he never would talk about it, nothing made him more proud than his time as a Marine Corps pilot. And uh, then he was a major league broadcaster for 40 plus years and a hall of fame broadcaster at that and beloved legendary in San Diego. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people, when they think of Jerry Coleman, think about the Colemanisms, the malaprops that, fall out of his mouth every now and then. And I was by his side for more than a couple of those, including the night he introduced himself as Glenn Geffner alongside Jerry Coleman. <laughs> uh, you know, things like that. They were always a lot of fun. But he was a good man. He was a sweet man. He cared about the game. He, he cared about the people who played it, the managers, the coaches. And he was a joy to be around as well. And we, we just lost Jerry a couple of days ago. It was the nine-year anniversary of his passing, which is really sad. But uh, – I've been incredibly blessed to have worked with those three over the years. Yeah, and and I've been blessed to have worked along with you as well. But, you know, I think you mentioned something that all the common denominators that everyone you just mentioned, and and you have it, I believe, I have it, otherwise I wouldn't be doing this. That's a love for the game. And that's a love for the passion and the hours to put in. You know, and and that, you know, I think it should be a message. I'm sure you're, you're preaching it. But anyone listening, anyone that's signing up for Glenn's courses, you know, and I tell anyone when I talk to, to students, uh, uh, most recently a couple of years ago at college, uh, that you better have passion for what you do. If you want to get into this, you know, obviously uh, it's a fun industry. It beats, you know, regular, you know, <laughs> a real job, as we like to say. But, you know, to get up and do this, the sacrifices we make, you know, the amount of time away from family, uh, the, the amount of commitment to spending time at the ballpark. And, and never really, you know, I never went on the Twitter to complain. I had worked 24 straight days. Now someone works two days and they and they tweet out how hard they've been working. Um, you know, it's like, I think I had five-day vacation one one year in 20 years at MLB.com. You know, like I never really had more than a week off ever. But that never was the story. And And I think it's that, like you hit, the legends of this game are those who went above and beyond and gave everything they have to this game. And you know, because you lived the lifestyle for a long time, the lifestyle is the biggest challenge. There's no, you know, going to the ballpark every night, calling a baseball game, writing about a baseball game, being around baseball players, being on the road, the travel, you know, all that stuff. That, that's great. And there isn't anybody who wouldn't trade jobs with you in, in most cases. Very few people wouldn't want to trade jobs with you to be in that role. 
But you mentioned the lifestyle challenges and not to complain about it, but it, it's the reality. Uh, when you are working every single day, when you are traveling half the season, you're away from home, the things you miss, uh, your children's sporting events, your children's recitals, your parent-teacher conferences, birthdays, anniversaries, whatever it may be, you're not sure where you're going to be until the schedule comes out every year. And, uh, you know, so certainly it is challenging and it is a grind and it's not for everybody. And uh, if you don't love the game, that's where you started with the, the common denominator among the people we've been talking about is that passion for the game. If you don't love the game, there is no way you can survive with all the challenges and the sacrifice you have to make along the way. And again, not to complain about any of it, but it is the reality of what you're signing up for. Yeah. And I, in many respects, I think it's even getting harder as the years have gone on, um, as relationships, I think, are a little different today than they were even 10 years, let alone 20 years ago or 30 years ago. Uh, I think for a lot of broadcasters, for a lot of writers, I think the clubhouse used to be a more friendly, more welcoming place. I think there's been, and some organizations kind of propagate this a bit, more of an us versus them mentality. And there are a lot of players who are good at realizing, hey, that's Joe. He's around us every day. He, he's part of the family. Hey, that's Glenn. He's on the charter with us. He's on the bus with us. He's a member of the family. The Marlins sign his paycheck. Uh, you know, and sometimes maybe able to differentiate some people from others who are just around. But some of the rewards to me that used to be in it, the relationships aren't there anymore. And that's unfortunate. I think about that as I talk to very young broadcasters just starting out in the major leagues now, that they're not going to have some of the fun that we had along the way, uh, whether it was social, whether it was whatever it may have been. But the relationships, I think, have changed as the years have gone on and the world has changed. And that's kind of sad for everybody. Oh, I agree. Yeah, because that's what it, that's, the relationships are what keeps you connected to the sport. And, you know, when you're around a team and you, and you can chronicle it, and that's what we both have done, you know, whether it's the printed word, the spoken word, we're chronicling there, we're the storytellers, uh, the historians, so to speak, of what they're doing. And, and many of them got it, you know, and they, and the respect they have. When you're there, I remember Cameron Maven one time, you know, and he was having his ups and downs young in his career. He said, you know, man, I respect that good or bad. You're here asking me every day. You know, mm -hmm. I got to respect that, you yeah. know, and he was a young player at the time going through struggles. And, you know, it's not it's you know, it's I just hope it, again, that's what we're trying to tell people. It's a rewarding industry to be in, but you better be prepared. And you better want to do it and and uh, and feel like you have a purpose doing it. And there are um, things that are easy to do and there are sacrifices that are easy to make when you're 22 years old and you're just starting out. But uh, I look at my career, every time I made a move, I went from you know finishing college, moving to Rochester, New York, single, moving from Rochester to San Diego, engaged, moving San Diego to Boston with a wife and one child, Boston to Miami with a wife and two children. Now you got three children and a dog. Uh, you know, at every step, some of the things that were easy and fun to do at age 22 become a little tougher to do when you're 32 or 42 or 52 as the years kind of pile on. So uh, it's, it's an interesting lifestyle, but it's certainly a fun lifestyle in many respects, challenging in many respects. And I think you can relate to this as well, Joe, when you announced you were taking the buyout a couple of years ago. You know, you go out there, you do your job year in and year out, you interact with fans. But I, I know you were floored by the reaction you got from fans when you announced you were stepping away and you heard from people who appreciated your work so much over the years, who couldn't imagine following the Marlins without being able to read Joe Fracero on a daily basis. Uh, and again, the silver lining to what I went through in mid-November this year is hearing from so many people who maybe have always thought this, but haven't always felt the need or had the desire to say it, who show their appreciation for what you do and the role that you've played in their fandom. And that means a whole lot. Oh, absolutely. And, and echoing it right back at you, Glenn. Glenn, I'm bringing Dave in for one last question to you, uh, for you, and then we're going to kind of get out of here. But, buddy, appreciate you being on. All the best. And, uh, and Dave's got something for you. Yeah, Glenn, you made mention of the sacrifices. And, you know, we, we talked a little bit pre-show. Having coached for 22 years uh, collegiately, talk a little bit about the sacrifices that the people 
and your family made, you, you just made mention the moves, the moves, um, we're all successful because of our capabilities and our work ethic, but we would not be there without the support of the people around us. So give a little bit of props to the people that move from city to city with you and talk about some of their sacrifices. Well, you nailed it, Dave. And uh, I actually might get a little emotional talking about this and, and thinking about it. Uh, I met my wife. We worked together in Rochester, New York for the Rochester Red Wings. And she was a preschool teacher who quit her job because she loved baseball and started out uh, helping sell ticket books for the Rochester Red Wings part-time and then wound up moving into the front office full-time. And uh, the rest is history. But she understands the game. She knew what she was getting into, I think. But that still doesn't prepare you for uh, me getting the opportunity to leave the Red Sox and join the Marlins at the beginning of 2008 and me moving to Florida while she stays in Boston with our oldest child finishing the school year and our middle child in preschool finishing the school year. And oh, by the way, she's pregnant with our third child and she's going to sell the house and pack the house and move the house and six, seven months later, get everybody down to South Florida. Uh, I definitely wasn't father of the year in 2008, but uh, to have a wife who understands that uh, certainly is the only thing that makes it possible to do what I've been able to do over 32 years in the industry and to have children who understand it. And frankly, my kids aren't huge baseball fans. They don't follow the game on a regular basis. Our oldest did for a long time and still does to a certain extent, but our two younger children really don't follow the game on, on a day-to-day basis. And, you know, they, they know what I do. They appreciate, respect what I do, but, uh, they're not listening to the radio every night when dad's on. They've got their own lives. They've got their things going on. And just, I think, the synergy that we have in our family, and it's all to the credit of my wife, Christine, uh, who makes everything happen and makes what I do on a daily basis possible by making sure that everything at home is taken care of. And then in the off season, I, I, I've said for years, I start my internship and now I'm able to help out with the carpools. I'm able to do the dishes. I'm able to take out the garbage and the recycling all the time. And, and I try to overdo it when I'm home in the off season because I'm just not around that much during the season. But uh, it's my wife and kids, and Joe will say the same thing, I'm sure, and anybody in the game. And players would say the same thing, that make what they do possible. Because it it's every day. It's all consuming during the season. You know, the game might end at 10 o'clock and you go home, but my mind is still racing and I'm on to the next game and constantly working. And and to have a wife who understands that and is able to get everything done that needs to be done and have kids who understand and appreciate that, uh, that's the only thing that makes it possible. Yeah, no, I I appreciate that. And I I know Joe Joe would feel the same and I'm the same way. I actually came home from a 22-hour flight from Perth, Australia. And had I been two minutes later, I would have missed our oldest son walking for the first time. Wow. Well, we had we, the last day of the 2008 season, my first day, uh, my first year with the Marlins, my wife was pregnant, as I said, when we moved down from Boston and we ended the year on the road and we were going to be cutting it close with the birth of our daughter, our third child. And we met with the doctor before I went on the trip. And I said, should I not go? He said, no, you ought to be okay, but just be ready just in case. And uh, I'm not sure where the trip started, but then it ended in New York. The season ended in New York, a series against the Mets. And I had every flight ready to go if the call came that I had to get home from New York. We finally made it to the last day of the season, the Sunday, September 28th. And it was a rainy day in New York. And the game mattered to the Mets. They had to get the game in, but I was praying I can't have a rain delay here. i got to get home as quick as I possibly can. And it was a tight game late. I can't have extra innings here. I've got to get home as quickly as I possibly can. And Wes Helms hit a big home run that extended the Marlins' lead, I think, and kind of broke the game open. And from that day forward, Wes Helms is one of our favorite Marlins. And I got home in time, got home that night, and my daughter was born a day and a half later, so I was home for the birth. But we cut it pretty close. Yeah, she's lucky you didn't name her Wes, right? <laughs> That's right, yeah. It wouldn't have worked for a girl. <laughs> well, maybe. You can have a Wesley as a girl, but that yeah. wasn't on the table. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, it's a great tribute to your family. I appreciate you sharing that. It's, well, thanks uh, for asking the question, Dave, because I really – Enjoy talking about that and don't usually get the chance. Yeah, no, it, it kind of circles back to what we talked about before the show. I think people need to to take a listen to this episode, uh, follow what you're doing right now, the next evolution of, of what you're doing with broadcasting and play-by-play, giving back 
to teaching. I think that's phenomenal. And if we can create more people like you in the industry and like Joe, I think, and like Kevin Kernan, the industry is going to be much better off. So we appreciate you giving back. I'll, I'll remind our listeners, and then Joe, you can close us out here. Please download, listen, like, and subscribe. You, know, you can find us on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher. Thank you to our 9,000 faithful subscribers. Again, we keep no ads, no sponsorships, but uh, you can go on Praytheon and support all the shows or whatever show you choose. And as Glenn promised, after this show, everybody's going to be going to be donate. So, Glenn, we appreciate <laughs> your how dynamic you are on here. And uh, Joe, phenomenal show as usual. Uh, we appreciate you, and I'll let you close us out with with your usual sign off. Yeah. Uh, once again, uh, thanks again to, to Glenn Geffner, a uh, fantastic friend, fantastic guest, and all the best. One more time, Glenn. How could they find your your stuff? Uh, the website is glengeffner.com, Glenn with two N's, Geffner, G-E-F-F-N-E-R, two F's. Uh, and uh, hopefully, you know, still going to be on a radio near you somewhere when spring training starts. Uh, talking with a couple of clubs right now about some possibilities. We'll see. It may happen. It may not happen. It may happen a year from now. But uh, I'm not walking away from baseball broadcasting entirely, hoping there'll be another opportunity out there before too long and we can keep this thing going. That's great, Glenn, and all the best. And then we're doing the same here at the Coach and Kernan Podcast Network. We're going to keep bringing it to you. We're going to bring you great contact content. 2023 is going to be a big year. Uh, signing off from the Man on Second Podcast, part of the Coach and Kernan uh, Podcast Network. I'm Joe Forsaro, and we will talk to you next time.